Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's episode of The Amateur Naturalist, where we give you a dose of natural history of either wild native plants or wild animals. Hello again, and my name is Tommy Fowler, and I am an amateur naturalist with a very large passion for the great outdoors. My goal with this podcast is to talk about some information about the natural history of plants or animals. On each episode, we will select a new species to discuss. So, what the heck is the definition of natural history? You know, Oxford Dictionary says that the definition of natural history is the scientific study of animals or plants specifically dealing with observation, rather than experimentation. If you like my podcast, please do me a gigantic favor by hitting that subscribe or hitting that follow button. You can help me greatly by giving me a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. Hey, currently I'm listed on around nine or ten podcast sites and hoping to get some more soon. I would be incredibly grateful if you can give me five stars on the rating. Obviously, the five stars will help me out to grow as a podcaster. I'm hoping to be on Apple Podcast at some time in the very near future. And one last thing, if you find value in this podcast, please reach out to one or maybe two of your friends or your family and tell them about this nature podcast. Folks, I tell you, it will truly help me grow this podcast through the awesomeness of word-of-mouth advertising. You know, since my budget is very limited. All right, thank you, and now on to the Amateur Naturalist Podcast. So, in this episode number three, I want to focus on the wild plant, the Jack in the Pulpit. This very unique, very unusual, and pretty wild plant is a perennial flower found in shady forests and woodlots, and you'll find them down by the water sources like, you know, maybe vernal pools or streams, sometimes in those little woodland ponds you see back in the woods. The jack-in-the-pulpit plant goes by several different regional names, but its genus species name is Arisema triphylum. I have read where some folks will put in wild habitats, like, you know, maybe a vernal pool, for instance, in their backyard area. And then, as a part of planting native plants around that vernal pool, they introduce some jack-in-the-pulpits. I would love to do this one of these days. The plant or wildflower goes by a few different names, including these catchy little titles, Indian Turnip which in my mind refers to the fact that Native Americans used to grind up the bulb area of the plant and they would either cook it or maybe dry it and then they would eat it. Uh, It has also been referred to as bog onion. Now again, in my mind, that signifies the fact of it growing in wet, moist, and fertile lands, kind of like a bog, and to the fact that it looks very similar to an onion down there at the base. And... Yet one more, another name it has gone by is the brown dragon. That's pretty cool, right? This is a reference to that brown or purplish stripes down on the lower stalk end of the plant and the dragon-like head up at the pulpit area 
on the top side of that plant. Kind of looks like a dragon a little bit, right? If you look at it real closely. Now, I said in our last episode that I would quit referring to all of our discussed species as one of my favorites. But I have to admit that this truly is one of my favorites. I, when I go out in the woods, I will truly actively look for these in the woods when the area looks conducive with lots of shade and thick, heavy forest floor mulch with all those leaves that fall to the ground. Uh, usually you're going to see them in areas like that, especially on the real shady side of a knob or, or a hill hilly area. These very unique woodland plants can live a long time, 25 to 30 years or more. They are in the Aracea family, which is also known as the Arum family. That's A-R-U-M, Arum family. Also in the Arum family is another plant called skunk cabbage. Now, both of these plants kind of give off a stink, right? Skunk cabbage. Both skunk cabbage and jack-in-the-pulpit plants give off a smell that is similar to dead or rotting flesh. Now, that's pretty unique, right? There's some other plants in the world that do that, but this is pretty cool. This smell draws in flies and gnats and other insects in the area. And although with all of the jack-in-the-pulpits that I have found in my life, I've not usually seen a lot of flies hovering around. I have at times seen some flies or maybe a gnat, but not the amount drawn to the plant like from what I've read over the years. I used to think when you look at this plant, it resembled some of the predatory plants that attract insects for the reason of actually trapping the insects, you know, like kind of a food source. But that doesn't seem to be the case with these plants. Flies and gnats both will go down the inside of the pulpit, but they are drawn by that smell, right? But as they go down the male pulpit, which is a little bigger, they struggle to get back out, which coats them in the pollen. Now, they get out, but they're all coated with that pollen, which is by design. And any insects that manage to get down the female pulpit sometimes actually get stuck and, and don't make their way back out. So... Speaking of uniqueness, check this out. Each plant is either male or female, of course, but that same plant can change its sex from one year to another year, from male to female, or vice versa. That's kind of unique, right? In both the male or the female, you will still see the flower, surprisingly. They look very, very similar. So where are jack-in-the-pulpits actually found? These beautiful plants are fairly common, although you do have to look closely for them in the woods sometimes. Um, they're not big, huge plants or anything. Once I usually see one, I usually start looking around much harder, and I can usually find another most of the time. They're a uh, perennial plant that is found all across the eastern North American states and, and even up into Canada, from down around Texas area, uh, I'd say all the way up into some areas of even Canada, which is kind of surprising. The short, This really short plant grows one or two stems uh, from an underground corm. That's C-O-R-M, corm. You probably already knew that, but let me explain this word, corm, just a little bit. Some of you might already know the terminology, but others maybe don't. So corm, C-O-R-M, 
RM refers to a feature of the plant that is down at the base of the plant that is covered with the kind of scaly leaves of the lower plant, and it's kind of rounded in structure, right? This corm is kind of a storage organ, I guess you could say, that is present in some plants, such as gladiolus and crocuses, of course, uh, jack-in-the-pulpits. And this tuber-like structure kind of is used... Um, in layman terms, to help these plants survive through the cold months of winter or even survive drought-like conditions. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. The plant can usually grow about one to two feet, sometimes a little bit taller than two feet, and they have three fairly large, broad leaflets. Once the third stem comes up, that third stem produces that classic single hooded flower that we all call the -the jack-in-the-pulpit itself. The pulpit, as we call it, is this. Maybe... I'm going to guess two to three inches. I don't think I've seen them bigger than that. Uh, It's maroon striped, kind of a tubular looking flower that has a greenish hood that kind of goes over the top, covers the top end of the plant. Now, if you look real closely underneath that hood, this is what we call jack. So it's like jack kind of standing up in the pulpit at church, right? Jack is kind of a long stem like growth where we find the reproductive parts of the flower. It's a cool plant to find, and once you start to recognize it in the wild, it's not so hard to spot anymore. It's not the most colorful wildflower out in the woods, but it does stand out once you get used to seeing them. Some folks will confuse those three leaves with poison ivy. Um, But remember, Poison ivy is usually kind of a low-growing plant unless it's uh, climbing a tree or something like that. All right, well, we're in August of 2022, and this is roughly the time of the year that if you go find these plants out in the wild, uh, the ones you saw back in the spring, they will now be showing their bright red clusters of berries in late summer. Uh, Some birds, such as wild turkeys and I think wood thrushes eat these right up as soon as they find those red berries. Rarely have I ever seen the berries since our turkey populations in our states are quite large now. They get to these berries long before I I can get to them. Now they start out green and then they get just bright, bright red. They really stand out. I have seen a few, but very few. Now most of the plant contains chemical compounds that most herbivores don't like at all. They don't like the taste, and that would be like deer, white-tailed deer, and rabbits. But deer do eat the plants. They'll take their hoofs, and they'll dig up the roots, and they'll eat the roots. 
So, you know, they're killing the plant anyway. They're not going to eat the plant uh, because they've tasted it before and they know it's got a bad taste, but they will dig up those roots and eat the roots. Uh, you can harvest these red berries and then take your fingers and squeeze them into some soil wherever that you want to propagate those new plants. And they say this works very, very well. So if you're wanting to put some in your yard and you see some of the berries, uh, you could clip some of the berries off, bring them back home and uh, take a few of those, leave them on the plant and bring a few home and squeeze them into an area in your yard. Now remember, you need a really nice kind of moist, lush, rich soil that's going to be shaded. Now let's talk a little bit about some history um, of the plant. You know, I've always heard that early Native American people would cook or even dry the uh, corms, C-O-R-M, of these plants, kind of in a similar way we would for potatoes or maybe even onions. Uh, Native American people and early, early pioneers used the plant medicinally to rub on their skin to take care of or treat things like skin rashes, allegedly even soreness. I'm not for sure that works, but that's what I've read. And, you know, with all my body soreness, I could use a few of these corms right now. Um, But I'm just kidding. You know, I I would not encourage any of you all or myself to go out harvesting a bunch of these wild plants. Uh, They are somewhat common, but I do feel like uh, they're kind of rather rare in some areas. You just don't see tons of them. The Native American people also used the plant for grinding it. Once they dried it, they would grind it into flour to help relieve fevers and colds and and even allegedly snake bites from things like copperheads and rattlesnakes in our area. Just remember that the raw forms of this plant are quite poisonous to us humans. Uh, Again, just a big word of caution. You know, I've touched probably several of these jack-in-the-pulpits in my life, and I've been lucky to never felt any physical issues, but I have heard and I have read that if you touch the plant with your bare skin, it can cause slight irritation to many people or even terrible irritation such as redness and swelling in others and sometimes pain at the skin surface. I had mentioned that Native American people used to dry or cook and then eat the plant bulb, but ingesting the raw plant can cause some pretty dangerous issues such as choking and or blisters on the lips or in the throat or in the mouth. Uh, It's the calcium oxalate crystals which can easily cause a bad burning inside of your mouth and especially your tongue where it feels like your tongue's kind of on fire. The roots and the leaves and the flowers all contain these calcium oxalate crystals. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's the major cause of very painful kidney stones. If you've ever had kidney stones and been to the doctor, they've told you to watch out for calcium oxalate in certain foods. And I have had kidney stones, and they are the worst pain ever. I think I'll stay away from eating Jack in the Pulpits. Not that I ever considered it. So, with all of these issues of eating the plant, Many animals do eat parts of the plant. Black bears, for example, they love digging up the corns, the corms in the middle to late part of the spring growing season. White-tailed deer, they also will dig up the roots of the plant with their front hoofs and munch down on those tender roots, of course, killing the rest of the plant. I've been lucky to find dig marks by deer, and I found the plants just laying there on the surface which I deduced were deer-eating 
just the roots. This amazed me for some reason at the time, just finding that out in the wild. You know, and I've always heard some folks say that wild birds would eat the red berries, but it's never something that I've witnessed, at least the berries part. But on two separate occasions, I have been incredibly lucky to watch eastern wild turkeys at very close ranges snapping off the top of the pulpit area of the plant with their sharp beaks and then swallowing it. And then once, while actually turkey hunting, I literally found the pulpit part of the plant inside the harvested tom turkey's mouth. I would say this would have been quite a very rare find, but I would be very, very interested to hear if anyone else has ever seen this or actually heard of it. And lastly, I did read that up in the far northern range, ringneck pheasants love those berries so much that it's deemed a favorite food when it's found. Other animals, such as uh, rodents, they will also eat those red berries. Now, if you are interested in planting some in your own woodlot, I told you you could take you know some of the red berries and squeeze them, or in an area of your, you want to plant something in your own shady and well-mulched area of your yard, you guys know that you can just about purchase anything, anything out there on the internet, right? So I did find several online sites that actually sell the seeds or sell the bulbs online. I don't think I saw any selling the plants, just the seeds or the bulbs. Now keep in mind, you're going to need an area that is well shaded and really rich soil and loose soil to grow these successfully. I looked at some of the reviews online, and it was sometimes kind of hit or miss if the plants actually came up the next spring, so kind of read some bad reviews on it. Not in all cases, but in some cases. In nature, these plants can be seen growing in large, shaded, deciduous forest or woodlots, and in the knob areas of Kentucky, we see areas which get a lot of shade from those adjoining knobs, and the forest floor usually has a deep leaf litter that causes that rich, rich, deep, dark soil. And these plants do love a rich and moist soil, but can also see, be seen near pools of water or even near like wetlands. I've been down in the Henderson area around the wetlands, and you'll see them along the edges. I talk about those knobs quite often. But these plants can be found in bottomland areas just as well. Now, if you get to some undisturbed areas, like our national parks, you have an opportunity to see many wildflowers, such as these jack-in-the-pulpit plants. And we did that this year. We, we quite often go to the Smoky Mountains or you know Mammoth Cave or some different areas. And in May of 2022, we had a pretty large group. We had 10 folks that hiked about nine miles up a mountain and five and a half miles back down from Mount LeConte. We stayed two days up on the top of Mount LeConte, the mountain, which was an awesome experience and something we hope to do again in 2023 for sure. It's a great experience. Now, this is one of the three tallest mountains in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park System. As we ascend it up that mountain, I did look for plants and wildflowers, and I was taking some pictures, and I was lucky enough to see and photograph two or three jack-in-the-pulpits on our hike up the mountain trail. Uh, one was kind of small, and then the other two were large 
plants. Now, we stayed on the trail, but I know that if you were to get off of the trail, you would see many more since they would be out of the reach of those pesky hiking boots and hiker hands. But, you know, it's a good idea to try and stay on the park trails themselves to keep from making many more man-made trails throughout the national park system. That just kind of smashes down a lot of plants and things like that, makes some drainage runoffs. So speaking briefly about pollination, I don't want to go too deep. I will not describe much about that switching back and forth from male to female, except to just kind of keep it brief. I had mentioned that the plant emits that smell that supposedly smells like dead rotting meat. And this smell attracts flies and gnats, such as the fungus gnats, which are attracted to the brown color of the plant and that smell. These just happen to be the chief pollinators of those plants. Usually, the male plant has three leaflets, and the female plants have two leaflets. We call the males the jacks, and the females are referred to as jills. That's right, jack and jills. The males produce the pollen, which takes a lower amount of energy, they say, and the female flowers look almost identical to the male flowers, and they produce the green berries, which eventually turn into those beautiful, bright, bright red berries towards the end of late summertime. Well, folks, I want to wrap up today's episode with a little bit of information, things like the plant characteristics. So I did say that the plant is a perennial. I don't think I mentioned that it's an herb. It has a a tap root. It does have a fruit type, which is the berry. We talked about those red berries. It grows up to two feet tall, sometimes a little bit over that. Uh, The leaves are green, sometimes a little bit part of the plant itself will be green, brown, or purple. Grows in a lot of different states. Grows up into Canada. Grows in forest and woodlands and swamp areas and marshes. So if you haven't thought about it, you know, the uh, Jack in the Pulpit is an excellent woods garden plant. Very easy to cultivate, requires very, very little care on your part, and it thrives under a variety of conditions, but grows most of the time in moist, shady, kind of seasonally wet locations. A lot of times a heavy, leafy winter cover should be left in place just to help the plant survive. The benefit itself, we've talked about quite a bit, that birds and mammals will eat the berries of this plant. And uh, I gave you that warning, and I'm going to give you the warning again. It contains a uh, like a almost like a needle-like calcium oxalate crystal, which uh, but the uh, berries, the foliage, and the, the roots of this plant can cause painful irritation of your mouth and throat if you were to swallow it. But some some animals will eat it, and, and I, I'm assuming they don't have any problem. If you touch it with your bare skin without gloves on, uh, those roots can cause blisters on your skin if touched. So again, if you want to propagate this in your backyard, and I am definitely going to try that soon, I'm going to, what you do is you propagate, you can either divide the roots, and I'm going to order some roots, and I'm going to try ordering some seeds, sow your seeds outside in the late, late fall, maybe not quite an inch deep is what I remember reading. And then in the following spring, you should see some plants come up. Seeds should not ever be allowed to dry out. And that may be the problem that uh, some of our propagators are having getting those seeds through the mail. Seeds might not germinate for up to two years sometimes. So be aware of that. So as I'm recording this podcast, it's uh, late August, and this would be the time of year you would go out in the woods and 
get you a, a small amount of the berries. Don't take a lot of berries. Or better yet, and my suggestion would be better yet, go ahead and get on the internet and you can order some of the seeds and you can also order um, some of the tubers as well. That's the what I'm going to do and rather than take them from the wild. But basically, if you were going to get some from your own yard, propagate them, you could remove the small brown seed from the pulp, kind of stratify those stored seeds by placing them in like some something like I would say like a sphagnum moss that's a little damp, and then refrigerating that about a couple of months before you're going to plant them. And usually, usually that helps with a lot of different wild plants and in, in having them actually come up the next year. Well, speaking of time, That's going to be all of this episode, and I hope that you enjoyed hearing me speak about the very exceptional, unique, and sometimes quite elusive Jack in the Pulpit or Jill in the Pulpit of the Eastern United States. Please remember to tell one or two friends or family members that like wild animals or wild plants, and please Take just a few minutes to leave me a rating of five beautiful, big, huge stars. Until next time, love and respect nature and protect our native wild plants and animals.